All right, let's turn to Genesis 32. Um, not so offended by Chris's joke, a little offended by how much y'all enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> if I can get that kind of laughter out of my jokes tonight, I'm going to be rolling. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's pick up in our study of Genesis. I want to, uh, before we get into this, uh, point out and welcome the, the Bozemans are here tonight, so make sure that if you hadn't seen them that you take the opportunity to speak to them, hug their neck, let them know how thankful you are for what they're doing and that they're here. And uh, The Bozemans are a family that we partner with, we support um, as a church, we support them. I've uh, been serving in uh, Togo, West Africa from stateside, but God seems like maybe doing some work there to shift their focus and, and where he's got them, where he's going to be working with them. So it'll be exciting to see what happens there. Also, the Berries are here, um, and uh, Blue and Britt are here with the boys, and so make sure you get to see them. If you've never met them, there's a good chance um, you've never met the Berries. It's been a while. They've been, I think they've been over in Chad for, for three years. So um, make sure you meet them. You can't miss Blue's head. It's the biggest one in the room, guaranteed right now. Uh, where y'all at? Where are they at? Right there, right in the middle. Oh yeah, I see that head. I mean hand, I see that hand. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, so anyway, make sure you get back there. Uh, so two of our missionary families here tonight, which is, which is really special, pretty unique. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that happen very often, um, so make sure you speak to them. All right, Genesis 32. Genesis 32, I'm going to read a lot tonight uh, from my, my manuscript, my notes. Um, I'll probably read more than normal, um, so, so let me start by way of introduction. There are times in our lives where we cross milestones. In the trajectory of human development, there are markers that come with age and often that come with experience. I have heard it said that the only part of a man's body that never stops growing is his ears. I've seen some people that give evidence to that. But everything else seems to settle. I've lost a full inch in height over the last 30 years. But what I'm learning as I get older, now in my <clears throat> 50s, is that I have lost my hair in the places I would like to have kept it, but it has relocated to the places I would rather not have it. I recently purchased my first ever grooming tools for keeping my nose and ears from looking like a briar patch. I might suggest that same purchase to a few of you. Um, but I've also heard it said that the alternative to getting old is not preferable. The only option to not getting old is dying young. And if we age with Jesus leading us, then we, grow, we will grow in kindness and grace and in wisdom and discernment. It seems that the more you learn in life, the more you realize you don't know as much as you used to think you knew. Is that true, older folks? But the more you realize you need to learn. Learning doesn't just come from study, but it comes from life experience, and that cannot be accelerated but so much. Often the wisest people I know are not educated people, but they are people who have an education. They have lived through a lifetime of experiences that have taught them about the grace of God, the brokenness of man, and where they fit into both. Both educated and uneducated people alike have the opportunity to grow in grace and wisdom and discernment through life's experiences, but also both have the opportunity to grow in bitterness or resentment based on life's experiences. 
The scripture promises us that he who begins the good work in us will be faithful to complete that work. For a believer, salvation is the first step in a journey that will literally last for my entire life and will carry me into eternity. And on that journey of highs and lows, victories and losses, new life and often the sting of death and all that a lifetime entails, we are in a process. And the Bible calls that process sanctification. And sanctification is the process of being made into, conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And that process takes place one degree at a time, according to Paul's words to the Corinthians. I recently had a conversation with someone who knew me 25 or 30 years ago. We began to reminisce and they began to tell stories that I was not particularly proud of. But we laughed a lot and rolled our eyes a lot. But there was a point in that conversation where I paused and said, you know, I'm still that same person, but I'm not that same person. Everyone changes to some degree as they age, but for the believer, we are changing through the work of sanctification. I'm thankful that people don't define me by poor decisions made decades ago or by bad choices made in disobedience to the Lord's will for me and for my life. But I also appreciate it when people recognize that the Lord's working on me and working in me, and I'm growing in grace. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't measure you according to what you did at some particular point in your past? Rather, he declares us righteous and then begins the good work of conforming us in his image, changing us for the better. In literature and in film, character development is an important feature to the story. If I could step out of this for a minute. And as many of you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big uh, Andy Griffith Show fan. And I don't know if you've ever gone back and watched the first couple of episodes, but the original casting for that, and some of the young people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just, this is pre-SpongeBob and Simpsons, okay? So this is like when the golden age, you know, of, of sitcoms. And, and, and if you go back in time and watch the early episodes, it's pretty interesting because Andy's character was supposed to be the real goofy one. And you see that come through, but as they began to develop the characters, there was a shift that took place, um, and, and that's, that's in character development. We have all had experiences where we started off not liking someone in our favorite book or program or movie, but they eventually win us over. The stories of Jacob and Esau and all of the other characters of Genesis have deep and wide and rich character development. The Jacob who deceived his brother Esau and the impulsive Esau who allowed it to happen have both changed drastically in the decades since they last saw each other. Jacob was the deceiver but was later deceived and has experienced a difficult life up to this point and the difficulties might be owing to his own decisions at some points. Esau has pursued life on his own terms and yet he has changed for the better. When we last saw him, he had pledged to kill his brother the next time he saw Jacob. Aren't you glad that Jesus is continually working on us, developing who we are and conforming us to the image of Christ? I'm so thankful he doesn't give up on me and is not finished with me. And I'm also thankful that he makes all things work for his greater glory in my life, even when I make horrible mistakes and have to live with the consequences. Some of us might be in a tough season. Some have come out of a tough season recently, and some are headed for one. Uh, this past week, I think we did 
six, five or six police reports on abuse situations. Seems like I always get into those conversations somewhere around midnight and then try to go to sleep somewhere around 2 a.m., knowing you got to get up and run it back at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., because you're, you, you, you feel the weight of someone's situation, you know? When you, when you, maybe that's a friend you've got, or maybe you're in ministry for this summer, this season, and, and uh, I, think, I think multiple um, counseling sessions this week of people that are wrestling with suicidal thoughts. And, um, and, and so whoever, whoever you are in whatever situation you are in life, you're either coming out of a really difficult situation, you're in the middle of a really difficult situation, or you're getting ready to go into one because life is not smooth sailing, is it? It's not, man. It's not smooth sailing. And so as we look at Jacob's story, man, it's been a crazy deal with the highs and the lows. And as his character's developed, um, we're going to come to kind of this, this head tonight where we're going to see a definitive shift in who he is as a person. It's a very definitive shift. And as a Christian, you're going to have these moments in your life. And a lot of times you don't know when it's coming. It might come to tomorrow. It might come through a phone call tonight. It might have happened recently where everything changes for you. And how you respond to God in that situation is going to determine literally the course of your life. So let's look at an extremely interesting text in the further development of the story of Jacob and God's plan to raise up his promised nation out of this man. We're going to start uh, in verse 1 of chapter 32. We'll cover the whole chapter. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mephanaim or something. <laughs> As an adult, you shouldn't use the words whatever or, or something, but whatever. So, um, <laughs> uh, so a word about angels. I, this, this is, I'm stepping out of like the, where the main point of the exposition is going. But I want to say you'll see this a lot in Scripture where angels pop up. Um, and, and I feel like I need to address this just very briefly. In the Word of God, we, we are taught a couple things about angels. We're taught that they're real, um, but over against that, we're, we're given a lot of cultural misunderstanding or misinterpretation of what angels are. They're not little chubby creatures floating around on clouds shooting you know, arrows into people's hearts, making them fall in love. They're not you know, uh, uh, Cupid-like figures. Um, when you die, you don't become an angel. When you, they are unique to the human experience. In fact, at one point, um, Peter is writing and he's like, man, angels look at the salvation of humans and are blown away by it. Me and Spencer, at least once every six months, have this conversation. We're both just blown away by that text. Like, well, angels who've been faithful to the Lord are like, this gospel is crazy, you know? So they're unique. They're, they're, they're different from us. And they, tend to they seem to have, rather, in Scripture one of two or three responsibilities are messengers of God. They're, they're warriors who defend the glory of God in the spiritual realm. And they seem to have a responsibility in the lives of God's people, oftentimes in protecting us. Um, if you've been in a car wreck and survived that car wreck, you may have heard someone say, or you may yourself have said, oh man, I, I think God had guardian angels watching over me. And so we, 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 we need to understand that they're real, but it's not like, I was thinking, it's not like a, um, it's kind of like if you go, if you're not from Florida and you go to Florida and you see an alligator and you go, oh, they're real. Like they're really, because we don't have those here. Like, okay, 
Those things are real. They're actually crawling around. You know, like it's, it's, I know they're real. I've read about them. I've heard about them. But not often do we interact with them in a way that we, that, that's tangible, really, ever. Okay, so then I'll we'll get to verse 3. Uh, Jacob gets up, and, and he keeps moving. And Jacob um, sent uh, messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them. Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent them, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. It's like, it's like when somebody texts you, I need to meet with you tomorrow in my office. And you're like, you ever have that happen? You're like, oh, man, it's this bad. I wonder what's happening. All we're told is, you know, like I can't imagine what this did to Jacob. Oh, he's coming. Oh, he's got 400 people. But he doesn't know what's going to happen. You know, he's, he's going to think the worst. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Verse 7 is a key verse, I think, in understanding Jacob's development in this, care, in this, in this text. Understanding that this is a developmental text for in, in Jacob's life and the way we see him develop as a person verse 7 is critical to that it says that he was greatly afraid and distressed he divided the people who were with him the flocks the herds the camels into two camps thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it then the camp that's left will escape so Jacob sends word to Esau that he's coming that way and he's trying to make peaceful entry and he gets word that Esau's going to send 400 men to him. Jacob freaks out. He's just completely freaking out in the moment. He's, he's losing his mind right now. So verse 9, Jacob said, Oh, my God, father of Abraham. So he prays. He begins to pray. He goes into a petition, um, and he goes into a prayer of pleading with God. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country, your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob, his last interaction with his brother was that he deceived him, robbed, stole everything from him. And so now he's getting ready to come back into face-to-face -face contact with him. And Jacob prays, and I, I'm sure we've all had this experience, when you pray in a really desperate situation, there's a different tone and intensity to your prayer. And I want to tell you, God's not afraid of that. God, like, God doesn't go, oh, now you're going to talk to me. See, if you're God's child, he always wants to communicate with you, and he always wants you to communicate with him. Like, there are commands in Scripture that we should pray all the time. And I think that, sadly, for most of us, a lot of times it takes something really difficult to trigger a legitimate prayer life. And I think maybe the lesson we can all learn is, man, what would it look like if we became people of prayer every day? You know, what if most of us, and, and my hands up on this in full transparency, my prayer life is probably the area that struggles the most. In my, you know, it's easy to be busy about the work of the Lord. And I love to read the Bible and study the scriptures in, in the early morning quiet time, you know, before work starts. Like it's easy to do certain things and harder to do other things. And I think for a lot of us, we have a difficulty with praying. But let something really crazy and overwhelming happen. Is it not true? 
Boy, you get your prayer life back real quick, don't you? Get it back real quick. We do that. We tend to do that. Even unbelievers will do that. Talked to a guy this week. I was talking to a, a man who just lost his wife. As far as I know, they're not Christians. And I was ministering to this man, and, and he began to weep, and he said, would you please pray for me? This is a man who's never been interested in the things of God. So desperate situations tend to trigger the prayer life um, of, of the believer, but oddly enough, of the unbeliever as well. And then also, when we do this, and I think this is the big observation in the text, this, this 9 through 12 verses, in verse 12, uh, he says, you said, I will surely do you good. It's like, Jacob, I don't know here if he's, if he's like, there's a tension. Is he, is he trying to manipulate? Is it like he goes into that default mode of he's manipulating God? You said you were going to bless me. You said I was going to have offspring, and now I'm getting ready to die. You better, like, do what you said. Is it that kind of thing, or is it more he's, he's, he's grabbing hold of the promises of God? I'm not sure, but I do know that there is a big observation here that this is important. When we pray and we put things into God's hands, when we act in accordance with God's will, not in accordance with our way of figuring the situation out and coming up with a solution. In other words, prayer is not just a spiritual sprinkling over our own recipe for life. Prayer is what should build our confidence in God's ability to deal with a situation, and it should be what drives our action. In other words, I don't pray just as a spiritual exercise. And I don't pray as a spiritual exercise, then go develop my own recipe for life. I pray and then live and act in accordance with that prayer life. I pray and then I live and act in response to what God is teaching and doing in my life. In other words, I will act in accordance with God's will if I'm seeking him through prayer and petition. What I'm saying here is that we have a tendency to pray, but then we have a tendency to do a couple of things. Most of us, one or the other of these. So this might be a good time to take a self-evaluation quiz. Which one of these do you tend to do? The first one is we pray in a situation that's desperate and we follow that up by freaking out. There's no real scriptural model. For, like God doesn't say like, okay, here's what I want you to do. Pray without ceasing and freak out. Right? It's like pray and then be anxious for nothing. Pray and don't fret. Don't be anxious calm down and know that the Lord is able. The freak out reflects that we have prayer but a lack of faith or that we have prayer with faith but with a lot of doubt. Most of us can relate to that. I think that's what's driving Jacob's comments in verse 12. Please save me, but you said, you said, he's, you see this, in, this is character, character development. He's wrestling with this doubt. If you wrestle with doubt, doubt's not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt is a believer's issue. People, people start doubting. This happens all the time. They start doubting and they go, well, I must not be a Christian. Oh, no, no, no. Doubt is the issue for the believer 99% of the time. It's what destabilizes us. We wrestle with doubt. So prayer and freak out. Or, number two, some of us, this is, you can do the personality profile test that, that John and Spicy will do sometimes. I think it would probably, you could probably pick which of us do which response here. But the second one is, we pray and then take matters into our own hands. Or, we're like Jacob and we do both. So he's going to do both. He freaks out and then he's going to take matters into his own hands. But, 
There's a fine line and tension that when we pray, we then act, but we act in accordance with what God is leading us to do, not we pray and act in accordance to our own plan or our own wisdom. Verse 13, so this is, so he, Jacob is talking about, stayed there that night and from what he had with him and and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Okay, it's a present. What, pocket watch? Pocket knife? Nope, 580 animals. I've got you a little gift. I mean, I wish some, I want to meet somebody that gives them kind of presents, you know. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 camels and their babies, 4 cows, 10 bulls, 20 donkey, female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. That's 580 if my math is correct. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. In other words, we're going to just, we're going to send him waves of gifts. What is Jacob's, what is the root sin that Jacob has struggled with in his life? Manipulating things, right? So what's the first thing he sends him? Girl goats and male goats, which I'm sure he, Send all of them together, probably. Like, here's some goats, 220 of them. And he's thinking, but that's probably not going to impress him good enough. But just let, let the goats, let, let him see the goats. And, and then I want you to pause for effect. Because he says drove after drove, pause for effect. Then send him 220 sheep. Sheep. Okay, go from goats to sheep. It's good. Then send him 30 milking camels. And their babies, their calves. Then 40 cows and 10 bulls. Like, he's just, this is coming in waves. He's trying to overwhelm him with gifts. But these are more like he's trying to control the situation. It's not just that he's out of generosity giving gifts. These he handed over to his servants, it said. So he sent them ahead. He instructed the first one. He saw my brother meet you and asked you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. Their presence sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he's behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. Just picture this, just wave after wave of animals. Got you some more animals. Got you. I, mean, I wonder what Esau's doing. I, I'm a, no more. No, I got plenty. No more, please. Don't give me. If you've ever had someone give you the gift of a puppy or a kitten, Imagine this circumstance, you know, like, no, thank you. I don't need another headache, you know. So um, he likewise instructed the second, third, uh, verse 20, you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. As much as Jacob has grown, we see his old ways. It's interesting, Jacob had robbed Esau of his blessing, and now Jacob is willing to give up the very blessing God has recently given him in a desperate escape, a, a, attempt to escape Esau. Think about that. Read that again. Years ago, decades ago, over 20 years ago, Jacob robbed Esau of his blessing. Now Jacob is offering the blessing God has given him in a desperate escape attempt against Esau. I think there's a thought and a note on grudges as Esau's character develops here. I feel like Christians are the worst people in the world at holding grudges. We shouldn't be. We should be the quickest to let them go. But Christians are really good at getting their feelings hurt, 
being offended, and then requiring a pound of flesh from somebody for that. Holding that grudge, staying mad, redefining the terms of the relationship. And as Christians, man, we can learn something from Esau here. He's like, ah, it all worked out. He's going to be like, it's, it's good. We'll see that next week. He's like, no, you're my brother, and we've gone our separate ways and lived our separate lives. As Christians, we should be the people that, that recognize that life is too short to live with the misery of grudge holding. So he sends them all on ahead in verse 21, and then he stays to camp that night. Verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, the two female servants, 11 children, across the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. It's an interesting, it's an interesting passage, those last ten verses. As Jacob wrestles, I thought about naming, if I was going to title this message, resting and wrestling, or wrestling and resting, that tension between resting in the will of God for my life, resting in the sovereignty of God over the decisions that I've made, and wrestling, because I think the Christian life is often described in Scripture by wrestling or boxing or running a race. There's a, there's a, a degree of tension that we live with. In these verses, Jacob is awaiting his meeting with Esau. He lies down to rest for the night. Jacob receives a new name, a new identity that reflects the promise and blessing of God. I don't want to over-apply this, and I don't want to get outside of faithfully saying what the text is saying, but I believe we've all had this type of experience before. I've wrestled through the night on more than one occasion, unable to sleep, begging God for peace, Wanting so badly to have the weight and burden of a particular situation that I'm facing tomorrow lifted. Have you been there? Maybe it's a wayward child. News of a horrible illness. Awaiting a doctor's report. The death of someone you care about deeply. It could be fear or anxiety or dread or overwhelming grief. I believe in the entire life of Jacob, this is the one moment we can all identify with him in. The Mandrakes thing, I got nothing. <laughs> Marrying two girls at the same time makes no sense to me. But I get this. Sleepless night, anybody? Ever had that happen? Every 16-year-old's like, no, nah, well, hmm, huh, no. Nah. It's coming, you know, like parents, you ever lose sleep over your kids? Are they going to follow Jesus? Are they going to surrender their life to the gospel that we would die for? Can I trust in the providence of a sovereign God with my child's addiction or sexual orientation? 
The doctor said the C word, not COVID, but cancer. Can I live with that? What are we going to do? What's tomorrow hold? Are we going to lose everything? And you wrestle through the night with thoughts. And sometimes, I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but sometimes you just box the air and wrestle with nothing. You just can't sleep. I don't know why. I have that happen a lot. We've all been there. We've had a lot of head-scratching moments with Jacob where we wonder what in the world is going on, but not here, not in these verses. We all feel this, and we identify with it. Verse 7 had recorded that he was terrified. He's literally trembling with fear. It's one thing to be afraid for yourself, but it's another thing to be afraid for those you're responsible for, your loved ones, and particularly your children. Jacob wrestles with the Lord. I believe Jacob's going to learn one of the most important lessons in this episode, one of the most important lessons any of us can ever learn in life. He's finally going to submit an area of his life that he's never been able to surrender. He's going to let go and trust that blessing only comes from the Lord and not from our own efforts. If you're successful in your business, that's a gift from God. It's not because you worked for it. You've got to work. That's the wrestling and the resting. That's the tension. But if God doesn't bless for the believer, then it's all vanity. So let's close with some practical considerations and observations. The first one is this. God is bigger and greater than your past mistakes. Coming to terms with your past can be overwhelming, but this is what we can be encouraged by. Additionally, God is the author of salvation, but when he saves us, he not only begins a work in us, he will be faithful to complete what he starts in us. Sometimes life can be overwhelming, and this promise will give us sustaining hope. God's going to finish what he started in you, man. He's got you. He's not going to save you and then send you out to sea. He's going to walk with you on the journey, lead you, guide you, put his spirit in you, come behind you, protect you. If you live long enough, you'll see the Lord bring beauty out of heartache and brokenness. This is the third observation. There are hundreds of testimonies in this church of bad decisions made from the flesh or from a lack of wisdom and discernment and a lot of consequences because of those decisions. In fact, we have 18 and 20 and 22 and 24-year-old people in our congregation who are getting ready in the next few years to make those decisions that they will have to wrestle with for the rest of their lives. And to you young people, I would say, just keep your eyes on Jesus and don't go down that path so that you don't have to live with the repercussions and consequences that Jacob's wrestling with and that many of us wrestle with. But there's just as many testimonies and stories of God being bigger than our bad decisions and mistakes and ultimately bringing about a greater good. What distinguishes believers from unbelievers is the way we endure difficulty and hardship and the way we respond to pain. Sometimes it can be painful and difficult to walk through a season of consequence, but we can know that God is with us and will bring an end to that season. Forgiveness from the Lord does not always mean the removal of consequence. That's an important principle. You make a mistake, you receive forgiveness, you may have to live with consequences. And God's grace is enough for you to live with and walk through that consequential season of life. There will be points in your life where we, in our lives where we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that we cannot get ourselves out of, but we can always turn to the Lord and trust what he will do. Prayer is the bedrock of the Christian life. It is especially the bedrock of those difficult seasons and decisions. 
There's a human tendency, tendency to want to create our own destiny or fight God's plan. But for the believer, the tension comes between resting in the provident plan of God and wrestling with the realities of the difficult circumstances of life. We've learned from Jacob, very important theological point. We've learned from Jacob. Alan Ross points this out. The theological point of the narrative centers on what happened to Jacob when God blessed him at the crossing of the river. There was the blessing for sure, a new name, signified a new status and a new direction, but there was also defeat for Jacob is crippled and his crippled walk signified that before God he was powerless and dependent, completely dependent. Maybe we need to pray and ask God for a limp, that thing that would constantly remind us of a need for dependence on God. In conclusion, tonight my prayer is that we will learn from Jacob that we are powerless to earn any blessing from God. And yet we are the recipients of God's blessing. And in that blessing, the Lord can heal what is broken, calm your soul and spirit and mind, give rest to the weary, give peace in the midst of sleeplessness and turmoil, calm our fears, bring healing from a broken past, answer life's difficult questions. He can remind us of a glorious and victorious future. And he can do all of this because he has the power to do so. And he has the love and the mercy and the compassion to do so. And all of this is displayed and proven at the cross of Jesus. There's two responses to this sermon. The first is this. If you haven't, would you put your faith and your trust in Jesus tonight? Give him your past. Give him your present. Give him your future and receive the blessings of salvation that can never be earned, but when given to us by the Lord, can never be taken away. And if you are a Christian, second response, think of the things you're holding on to. Think of the ways you might be wrestling with the blessing of God or trying to deal with life in your own strength. Stop wrestling, let go, and give everything to the Lord and rest in his sovereignty. Because the same God who renamed Jacob, who had an eternal and history defining plan for him has a specific plan for your life and he intends to use you in ways you could never even imagine because he cares for you let's pray lord i pray tonight that you would take jacob's story which is in bigger words your story and that you would teach us from it lord we can identify with him wrestling over the consequences from his past and the decisions he had made having to live with those decisions having to figure out an uncertain future in the face of that certain past i pray we learn from him when it comes to what it looks like to pray and rely on you even against our own presuppositions and struggles and personal misconceptions I pray that you would calm the soul that needs to be calmed tonight, settle the mind that needs to be settled. I pray for those that have questions that they're asking that you would answer those questions. I pray for men, women, boys, girls tonight that aren't fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus, that tonight you would speak in a way that they would surrender before they go through the consequential actions that might alter, completely change the course of their lives. God, I pray that for all of us, we would rest in your peace and your grace, knowing that you are greater than all of our sins and that you hold our future. And that as you redirected the course of Jacob's life and made literally 
his life and legacy, the centerpiece of history leading up to the cross of Christ, that we would see that you have a great plan for our lives as well. We love you and we worship you through song in response to your word in Jesus' name. Amen.